Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to consider three verses today, and we're going to start in verse 16. So if you would, let's pray first, and then consider God's Word together. Heavenly Father, to you a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But we are right now a day into a new year, and that feels significant to us. Lord, we have hopes and dreams. We have joys and sorrows. We have concerns and fears for this upcoming year. And so I pray, Lord, that right now you would speak by your word. Be the lens through which we look ahead. May your life and death put our own in perspective. Lord, remind us right now, Lord, that the world does not rest on our shoulders, does not rest on my shoulders. Remind me right now, Lord, that in my Father's house there's a place for me and that I am a child of God. I pray that you would remind this congregation that as well. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight and yours alone, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Habakkuk was a prophet to Judah in the late 7th century, right? The Babylonians and later the Persians are coming quickly. They are going to conquer Israel and take them off into exile. And this is what captures, this invasion is what has Habakkuk's attention captured. And prophets in Scripture often confront leaders, kings, or nations for their unfaithfulness, right? That's what we think of when we think of the prophets. They're going and they're saying, you have been unfaithful to God's covenant, you must repent. Habakkuk is different because Habakkuk actually challenges the Lord. In the first two chapters of Habakkuk, we see him look at God and say, God, you have said that you will be our God, we will be your people, and you will dwell among us, and yet these evil nations are coming to conquer us. Are you being faithful to your side of the covenant? It's a valid question, because even if Judah deserves what's about to fall upon them, and they did, they were continually, continually unfaithful to God. They turned aside to idols over and over and over again, even if they deserved this exile. Babylon and then later Persia were notoriously brutal and evil. 
Essentially, what Habakkuk says to God is, is your cure worse than the, the disease? This nation is so much more evil than we have been. How can you be good and allow this bad thing to happen? Which believers have been asking for years and years and years and will always ask until the Lord returns. It's a valid question that Habakkuk asks of God. And so what we see in the third chapter of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's psalm. It's Habakkuk's response to God's answer. And God's answer is this. He assures Habakkuk that both his love, his covenant love, his chesed, and his justice, that no sin can go unpunished and God still be good, that both his love and justice will be accomplished in time, but through very difficult circumstances. God assures Habakkuk, I can be loving, I can be just, and I'm going to accomplish that through Babylon. And that's a tough thing to hear. That's a very tough thing for Habakkuk to hear because he knows the brutality that's about to fall upon Judah. And so what we see is his response to this. And in verse 16, the psalm, the psalm verse, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, shifts from second person into first person. This is Habakkuk's response to God's answer. God has answered and said, I will be loving and I will be just and I am bringing you into exile. And we see Habakkuk's response to the word of God. So, why this New Year's text? I asked Albert, do you want me to continue in Acts? Do you want me to do an Advent? And he said, no, just do whatever you want. This passage has been really ministering to my own soul, and I wanted to bring it to you. Why this as a New Year's text? Because we are anticipating the future. Habakkuk is anticipating the future, and we see his response to God's word about what is coming. What will we make of 2022? Or you may be asking, what will 2022 make of us? So there are two things I want us to consider together today. As we anticipate the future, as we anticipate God's faithfulness to us this year, I hope that we discover two things, a new recognition and an old resolution. A new recognition and an old resolution. A new recognition of what? Of our circumstances. A new recognition of our circumstances and an old resolution, an ancient resolution of joy. So we'll see this new recognition in verses 16 and 17. So look with me again at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk is reeling from God's answer. He is absolutely reeling. Judgment is coming. He is staring down the Babylonian freight train as it comes. And what we see in Habakkuk are the physiological somatic manifestations of fear in his body. The ESV translates it, my body trembles. That's the Hebrew word beten. That's belly. <laughs> That's his gut. The news, the bad news is sinking deep down. The full weight of the implications of what God is saying are sinking down deep into Habakkuk, and his body responds in fear. We recently, for our anniversary, Kristen and I got to go see Hamilton up in Memphis, 
And in one of the songs, it's quiet uptown, Angelica Schuyler sings this. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. Habakkuk is staring the unimaginable in the face. Unimaginable suffering. And it's coming out in his very body. The manifestations of fear and terror and grief. His lips quiver, his knees buckle, his bones melt. Yet, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is famous for saying that but God are the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Here, Habakkuk says, yet I, because of God. Look with me again. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I quietly wait. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. In the moment of tangible bodily fear, Habakkuk is not helpless. He has options, right? He has a choice, and he makes that choice to quietly wait. How? How can he quietly wait when he's anticipating so much disaster and doom? The unwavering character of God. The unwavering character of God gives him an option, a choice. Though the day would be terrible, he would and could survive to see deliverance. Deliverance would come. Justice would come upon Babylon and Persia, and that's the only thing he can hope in for the moment. We will not see deliverance. Judah will see it. But one day, God will bring ultimate justice on the evildoers who invade us. One day, he would see deliverance, but only after judgment, only after justice is accomplished. One commentator says this, the entire present world order passes away, yet the grace of God for his people will endure. I want you to think about our New Testament scripture reading and our Savior as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like Habakkuk, he is anticipating a temporary yet terrible judgment. He's anticipating the cross, the terrible wrath of God against our sin on his innocence. And what happens to Jesus in that moment? The physiological, somatic representations of fear. He sweats blood. His sweat is like blood. He is agonizing over what is about to come upon him. His body responds with the crippling and overwhelming signs of grief and fear, and he pleads, if there's any other way, Lord, for you to redeem your people, if there is any other way to pay their debt, If there's any other way for you to remain true to your character as both a loving and just God, please, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the imagery he uses there is that of a cup. The cup of judgment that he must drink all the way down to the dregs. And his cup was bitter so that ours could be sweet. His cup was deadly so that ours could bring life. He drank that cup so that we could have life and blessing. 
Habakkuk, like his Messiah, like the greater prophet who would come after him, would stare catastrophe in the face, would stare the unimaginable in the face and say, if possible, let this pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Habakkuk was not helpless. He chose to wait to see justice accomplished in time. And Jesus was not helpless. He willingly waited for the joy that was set before him. And friends, do you know what the joy was that was set before him? Your redemption, that he would be seated with the right, at the right hand of the Father, with and for you. You were the joy that was set before him, your redemption. There was a greater love and justice to be accomplished, and that gave Jesus the patience to wait for the Father to accomplish it in time. Friends, do you see? Staring the unimaginable in the face and yet being able to wait patiently. Friends, it's so important for us to see that patience and trust are options for us in terrible circumstances. If you listen to some, though, everything is a catastrophe. (laughs) Some of your hearts, like mine, can make anything into a catastrophe. Some Some of you are experiencing very real catastrophe, very real suffering and disaster. But what if? I want you to ask, what if? What if this is not life and death, the situation you are facing right now? What if it's not a catastrophe waiting to happen? What if your hurts and fading dreams are the process, like in Romans 7, of suffering that leads to endurance, and endurance that leads to character, and character that leads to hope, and it's a hope that will not put you to shame? What if? What if that is what God is doing? What if we can wait on that What if the covenant promises of God give us the intestinal fortitude that we need to watch and wait and see and breathe? What if? So as we anticipate a new year, I invite you to join Habakkuk and the greater prophet, our Savior, in recognizing what is real and right before you and yet remembering Remembering that there is nowhere that 2022 will take you that the faithfulness of God has not already visited. We can wait quietly, knowing that love and justice are and will be the reality for the people of God. Jesus endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. He endured the terror of the night for the joy of the morning. Remember that your redemption is the object of the joy of the Lord. Christian, we must recognize that our circumstances may not change. That's the the new recognition of our circumstances that we must see. Your circumstances may not change, but your Savior never does. Your Savior never changes. It is in this that we make a New Year's resolution, and in reality, it's not new at all. It's an old resolution. It's an ancient resolution. It's the ancient path that has been walked by 
thousands upon thousands of believers who have gone before us in following the ancient of days. What is this old resolution? It's an old resolution of joy. Their resolve Their fortitude is rooted in joy. So having discovered a new recognition of our need and of our circumstances, let's turn and make an old resolution of joy. Look with me at verse 18. Actually, we'll look at 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. At the top of 17 there, though the fig tree should not blossom. This is even if. This is when. Because. These things are going to happen. Even if these things happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So he's peering into the future and he sees deprivation. He sees suffering. And he has the boldness to say, and yet. And once again, Habakkuk has choices. We hear echoes of Job. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And this resolve to choose hope, to choose joy, is rooted in Habakkuk calling the Lord mine. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The intimacy of that relationship The love of his heavenly father with him was sure and solid and based on promises. That intimacy with God was not based on how he felt in the moment, whether his needs would be met or his perceptions of what God was or wasn't doing. The intimacy of that relationship was based on solid promises. And so in the face of uncertainty, look at 19 again. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He doesn't have strength. He doesn't gain strength. He's not asking to acquire strength. The Lord is his strength. Friends, do you see it? The Lord is his strength. Despite chaos and calamity, he lives. And in this old resolution of joy, he walks sure-footed and he climbs a dangerous place with confidence. I have a pretty uh, serious fear of heights. I actually met Kristen on a ropes course, which is pretty perfect. I'm white-knuckling it up there. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm terrified. She's not scared at all. But with this fear of heights, I thought the best thing that I could do is watch a rock climbing documentary while on an airplane which is what I did on the way back from California a few years ago. And it's a good documentary. It's called Free Solo. And it's about a guy named Alex Hanold who climbs a 900-meter rock face in Yosemite National Forest. And it's called Free Solo because he did it without any ropes. One slip, and it's all over, right? And in one moment uh, of the climb, because it traces through his whole training process, he climbed this hundreds of times with ropes, He practiced this route. He was not improvising up there. This was a well-worn path. We'll come back to that later. He knew what was in front of him. So he's up there, and there's a moment in the climb where all he has for one of his hands is one thumb's worth of hold. 
and he actually has to switch thumbs and then move to another rock. One slip, and it's all over. He places his life on half of a thumb, and he knows that that rock will hold him. Friends, we say we walk by faith and not by sight, but that is not to say that faith is blind. Faith is not blind. The glory of God has been revealed to us in Jesus, but there's an element of faith that is by nature uncertain. We will walk on dangerous heights by faith, not by certainty or seminars or the seductive lure of self-improvement, but because He sets our feet on solid footing. He sets our feet. He knows that it will hold us. And we can place all of our weight there. And to those who saw trees barren and fields desolate and barns empty, the prophet Malachi provides resolution. Listen to what he says. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And listen to this. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. If we look at verse 17 again, it says there will be no herd in the stalls. And yet in Malachi, we see them leaping forth in freedom. He will make your feet sure. He will set your path. He will hold you. Friends, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This year, will you dare to hope? Will you dare? Will you dare to walk by faith in the strength of the God of your salvation? Okay, so Shawshank Redemption came out nearly 30 years ago. I'm thinking that's enough time that I can spoil it, right? I know that's a sore subject here, but (laughs) 30 years is enough time for you to have seen this movie. In Shawshank, after decades in the prison, Andy Dufresne tells Ellis Red Redding not to forget, and what does he tell him not to forget? That there are things in this world not carved from gray stone, that there's a small place inside of us they can never lock away, and that place is hope. Red, though, replies, hope is a dangerous thing. It's got no place here, and you better get used to the idea. He had survived Shawshank by not having hope. He says, no, don't bring that here. That's dangerous. If you start to hope, you'll be let down. You ever been there? Set your expectations real low so you don't get disappointed? No, hope is a dangerous thing. But later, after Andy escapes... And Red is finally set free. He, remember he unearths that one black rock along the wall underneath that beautiful tree in the field? And he reads Andy's letter to him. And Andy says this, Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. The movie ends with Morgan Freeman's iconic narration, right? They're on the beach and they're reunited. And the last words of the movie are, I hope. But friends, notice, where do they place their hope? Where do Andy and Red place their hope? And it's understandable. They place their hope in new circumstances. 
They place their hope in the fact that a man can be smart enough or resilient enough to spend 20 years tunneling and scheming his way to freedom and riches, right? That's the hope. That's the dream. Smart enough, resilient enough. And friends, hope is a good thing. But believer, we don't hope in Zewataneho. We don't hope in Zewataneho. We don't hope in our hard work and our perseverance. We don't hope in our New Year's resolutions or being a better version of ourselves this year. We don't hope in our performance. We hope in Yahweh. We hope in Emmanuel. We hope in God with us. Though the climb is steep, we have a foothold. Do you remember how Red was set free? He would always walk into the parole board and say, yes, I'm rehabilitated, I'm rehabilitated, and they never set him free. But what did he finally say? I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. I'm not rehabilitated. I have regrets. And they gave him that rubber stamp of freedom. I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. And that led to his freedom. And that rubber stamp of freedom comes to you, believer, as you come to Christ with recognition and resolve. Recognition of your loss and your need and your circumstances and resolved. Resolved to rejoice not in circumstances, but in circumcision. What do I mean? We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in our circumcision, that you are a covenant child of God. The bloody picture of circumcision replaced by the beautiful waters of baptism. You are a child of God. Therein lies our hope. He will be your strength. He will set your feet. He will make you walk. Sure, friends, this year, make plans. Dream. Make resolutions if you want to. But listen to the brother of our Savior when he says this in James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. To be resolved this year, to be resolute, is not to be absolute in your certainty, nor is it to be resigned and cynical. It is to fight for joy alongside your Savior. Let me say that again. To be resolved this year is not to be absolute in your certainty, nor is it to be resigned and cynical. It is to fight for joy alongside our Savior who said this, In John 16, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Friends, no one can take away that joy. That Christ is coming again, that Christ is with us. No one can take that from you. Again, Angelica Schuyler, 
There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace that's too powerful to name. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. Can you imagine? On the cross, Christ held his children close and pushed away the unimaginable. Christ has held us close, and he is pushing away the unimaginable. So may we have a new recognition of our circumstances and make an old resolution of joy. Unto you, church, a child is born. Joy to the world. No one can take away that joy. Unimaginable circumstances brought unimaginable forgiveness leads us to an unimaginable joy. The unimaginable circumstances of the cross brought you and me an unimaginable forgiveness in Jesus and will lead us to an unimaginable joy and freedom in life in Christ. So let's sing now with a joy that no one and nothing can take away. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would write this truth on our hearts. I needed to hear it. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon more to myself than I did, just did now. But I do pray, Lord, that you would write this by your Spirit on this dear congregation's heart. Help us, Lord. Fight for joy. Choose joy this year. And be resolved in the freedom and forgiveness that we have. Help us not look to our circumstances for joy, but rejoice in the freedom we already have in you. And it's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.